Welcome back to another episode of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. Today's episode features my conversation with Cheryl Gildner. Cheryl is one half of the team at Renegade Roaster Design Group. She, along with her husband Boyd, a longtime roaster repair and maintenance man, have been building coffee roasters with integrated software since the year 2000. This is the first time we've brought anyone from this side of the business onto the show. And if you're out there listening and dreaming about opening your own coffee roastery someday, be sure to pay close attention. In the 21 years since Cheryl and Boyd launched their company in San Diego, their roasters have been installed all over the world. When I talk to coffee roasters on this program, they all have a unique connection to their own personal roasters, kind of like baseball players with their gloves. The roasting machine is an extension of the roasters themselves. Cheryl and I talk about that, how their business evolved, and we covered something that I am particularly interested in, which is how environmental requirements for roasters have changed over the years. Regulation changes have been brought up by more than one roaster we've spoken to, and during this show, Cheryl refers to the AQMD, which I'll let you know up front, stands for Air Quality Management Division. It is a governmental office that develops the plans and regulations that are required of businesses to help the region meet mandates and air quality goals set forth by the states and the Environmental Protection Agency. Making roasters that meet the standards set by the AQMD is part of the manufacturing process, and the standards likely change depending on the location of Cheryl's customers. My chat with Cheryl was a lot of fun. But I did mistakenly schedule it for a Monday, so we naturally had a bunch of technical difficulties. So the audio has a little bit of an under-the-water vibe. In reality, Cheryl was in a warehouse in Flagstaff, Arizona, where she also has a micro-coffee roastery of her own, Ponderosa Roasting. And I was here, working from home in the podcast studio, which also doubles as the closet that my clothes hang in. Either way, the conversation was still great. Cheryl was really engaging and quick to laugh. She actually reminds me a lot of my mother-in-law, Julie, who is just a genuinely wonderful person. While you are listening today, check out renegaderoasters.com to learn more about the tech specs of their roasters, see photos, and learn more about their burner technology and their philosophy on roaster drum speeds. And I'll be sharing more on the Roast West Coast newsletter this week, which you can read and subscribe to at roastwestcoast.com. Signing up for the newsletter and giving the show a five-star rating on Apple or telling a friend to check it out is a great way to show your support. There's also an optional paid newsletter subscription if you'd like to help support the creation of this show and upgrade the tech that I use to operate it. Regardless of whether you subscribe to either the free or paid version, you'll get this podcast and the newsletter sent to you directly every time a new show drops. You can also follow at Roast West Coast on Instagram or join the Roast West Coast Coffee Group on Facebook to talk coffee with me and a growing community of coffee lovers like Kim Zimmerman. I hope to connect with you in the Facebook group soon. For now, grab a mug and fill it with good coffee, because it is time for the interview with Cheryl Gildner of Renegade Roasters and the rest of the show. So, it wouldn't be a Monday if there was no technical difficulties, right? Right, right. And I tried it ahead of time, but for whatever reason, I couldn't. Yeah, you know, I had a little... microphone didn't work. I had a little bit of a tech issue with it yesterday, and I wonder if maybe there's a software update that's just being goofy, so no no worries at all. And I'll just start by welcoming you to the show, and I'll kind of jump right into it with that first question and ask about Renegade and about you. Okay. Well, Renegade was invented in 2000. I lost my job working as an IT person 
And my husband had been doing maintenance on roasters for 20 years. And he wanted me to come work for him. And I said, well, what am I going to do? And he said, we're going to build roasters. And I said, I, at that point, I didn't even drink coffee. So it was really going to be an eye-opening experience for me because it was learning from the ground up what I was going to do. He, he wanted me to sell it. So anyway, uh, that's how it was born. I learned really quickly. Uh, started going with him on jobs where we were ma- doing maintenance and, you know, learned how people roasted. And um, one of your things that you said in your notes was that everybody looks at their machine as a extension, really, of their their thought process, their their ways. And it, it's truly the reality of it. You know, everybody has certain targets they're looking for. Everybody has the same actual process they're doing. It's just the way they go about it. And so I started learning all the different techniques people use. We have customers all over the world. So I got to go to Australia and roast with people that only roast espresso. I got to go to Japan where they do mostly espresso. And then they do these little tiny drinks of coffee. But it was really an eye-opening experience. And I became passionate like my husband about coffee. So we came home and and 2000 was really the year that we decided we were going to go ahead and build our own machine based on the fact that we had worked on everybody's machine, old, new, whatever. When people had problems with their machine, Boyd was called in to, to look at the problem and try and find a solution. And what we wanted to do was give roasters the ability to look outside the box. Uh, we're not for everybody. We're definitely not for everybody. Um, a lot of people just want to turn coffee brown. They don't <laughs> care about, you know, acidity or body or anything. It's really just a put the coffee in, get the coffee out. Time doesn't matter. Airflow doesn't matter. Anything, you know, I mean, it's just really a business. And, and there is a place in the coffee industry for that kind of coffee. What we were looking at was trying to find a way for people that wanted to go deeper than that, how they could do that. And everybody does it differently on our machine. Our machine allows you to make the variables what they are. So you can have up to 10 steps in a roast. And in those steps, you can change airflow, drum speed, and anything that you want. It can be based on a bean temperature. It can be based on a chamber temperature being reached in that step. It can be minutes. Everything is dependent on the roaster. And that's what we bring to the table. That's what Renegade is. That customization of the end result. Customization by the customer once they have the machine. Yeah. So then our... And repeatability. And repeatability. So at at Renegade Roasting Design Group, are you only building roasters then for professionals, for coffee shops or or roasteries, or do you work with small companies? Or I mean, I'm assuming when you started in 2000 and what you do now might not be quite the same. True. uh, Along the way. But we're on our second... Our second set of controls, um, the first ones that we did, they're still out there. They're still working fine. But we felt that it didn't give us the uh, ability to do some of the things we wanted, like changing uh, a step at, you know, putting your roaster at 50% burner and putting a time to it. We couldn't do that on our first controls. But it was baby steps. I mean, it took us two years just to get the first controls the way we wanted because you're working with people in IT. That don't, they might like coffee, but they don't understand the whole principle of roasting coffee. So when I tell them, you know, you got to do this, they would take it a whole different way than what I was trying to achieve. So I was working with people outside of their realm of experience. So it, it was a long, long process. And 
probably took us two years from vision boards to actual being able to roast with the controls. It's you and your husband. Uh, what's your husband's name? Boyd. Boyd. Okay. And so you, you finished that, that first one, two years, and you get to that first one, and you said, you were about to say before I interrupted you so rudely, now you are, uh, where? Now we are on our second controller, which we ended up finding somebody that was as passionate as us that is an IT person. <laughs> and he was able to understand what we were trying to achieve. And I was able to, um, he was local. He was in California as well. So that really helped. We weren't trying to deal with somebody out of state. And um, so we, we would give him copies. And, you know, he'd drink them and then I'd say, well, this is why, you know, this is what we did. This is where we changed the drum speed and the drum speed made that difference. You know, so he got to be able to taste all the differences that our roaster could do. And that helped him in understanding what he had to do in order to make me be able to do what I needed to do on my end. That's really interesting um, that you that you took an end product to help create a system to get to that end product. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's been, you know, it's 20 years we've been doing this since 21 years now that we've been doing this. And it has been, uh, like you said, a wild ride. You know, there's always something that interests us that we want to change. How you did know, you, Somebody says, I want to do this. Yeah. How did you find those first customers? Was it just through word of mouth? Was it because of Boyd's experience we, in repair? Boyd's experience, Boyd's, you know, traveling all over the place. We've been very popular in Australia at one point, and that was because of the drum speed changes. Um, now, we're not the only ones that do drum speed change and airflow now. We were when we started. We were the first ones to try it. Most people at that point were roasting still. You figure 20 years ago, controls weren't what they are now. People were really kind of not on board with the idea that drum speed and airflow made a difference. They knew you had to make changes on airflow, but not to the extent that we, we provide. Now it seems that either there's enough customers wanting that. And so they're having to implement that or they see the value in it themselves. I don't know. Cause I, I really don't talk to my vendors. I mean, other people that yeah. do this. Well, the market caught up to you. You, you uh, you innovated yeah. and they caught up. Yeah. You met, you were talking just now about how you worked with your IT person to, to create some of these okay. controls and the tech for it. Going the other way, then when you are working with a roasting company or a new someone who wants to be in the roasting business or wants one of your roasters, how do you go about designing for them or customizing that? Is it a similar process where they're giving you products and saying, this is what we want to achieve? Or is it? We've done it both ways. Sometimes people will send me copies and I'll roast them and I'll send them to them, you know, while we're building their roaster and we'll start playing that way. Um, so I can get a feel. I usually go out and train people. Boyd does the building. He does not claim to be a roaster, but I am very passionate about roasting and I have my own little roasting company here in Flagstaff now. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so I play with my five kilo all the time on different things. People can, my customers can write me and say, I need this, or call me and say, I need this, and I can walk them through how to do it. We also, if they have an internet connection, can actually get live on them with TeamView and actually walk them through things. Um, we can also download their, their software. The Renegade software actually allows you to have a CDS file on every roast. So if they're having a problem, I can actually download that file 
bring it into my shop and actually look at it and tell them where they're going wrong. And that's anywhere. It doesn't have to be just in the United States. It can be anywhere, as long as they have that internet connection. So we help our customers a lot after they buy the machine. There's a lot of extra. That's my part. My part is the helping afterwards. We don't just leave you with a machine and say, well, good luck. <laughs> I can see uh, <laughs> in, in this little video chat that we're having that you're you're clearly in some sort of warehouse or manufacturing type of building. Yes. And yet I'm we're talking about, yeah, we're talking about all these hands-on kind of IT and, and customer service, yeah. but it's a, it's a, it's a building project. It's a, it's like, uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? It's like a very advanced Tinker Toys almost like from, from back in yeah. the day. And yeah. you're creating a new, a new manufacturing piece that's custom for every single business. Right. Right. They get to choose the color if they want. They can there's quite a few different variables that they can add on these stoners and things. There's, there's a whole list of, they can make an extra size oversized cooling tray so that they can have room to blend. You know, it's, it is, there is a lot of customization to our machines. There is nothing that just sits on the floor waiting for a sale. And I think that for somebody listening and for myself, I, I know that I can go to a half a dozen coffee shops, you know, within walking distance and get a Columbia coffee from all six of them, and it'll be different from every one, even if the region it's yes. from is the same. And it's something to be yes. said for the yes. roast and the machine. Yes. Um, how? What about environmental requirements? This is something I'm really interested in. In 20 years, I know in California, you mentioned you're in Flagstaff right now, but in California, there's rules about the types of emissions from different roasting machines. Yes. How has that changed and in the 20 years? That has changed like crazy. San Francisco, probably worst. Um, we have machines up there. San Diego is a little bit more lax. Uh, we make a wet scrubber instead of an afterburner. If the AQMD is okay with it, we'll put that on instead, which saves the customer a lot of money in gas. What does that mean? That afterburner. Uh, what, what does that mean? Like essentially you're running like the smoke or the emissions you're, through a machine or something that's taking. You're running it through water. You're running it through water. Okay. Water and media so that it actually absorbs the smoke. And you don't get the, you know, the, you know, how when you're roasting, you get that big puff of smoke um, <laughs> after first crack and usually goes on from there, the darker you go. So that contains a lot of that smoke and we can actually get our, our numbers for AQMD within that range based on this, this system that Boyd's invented of a, a wet scrubber. There's a lot of wet scrubbers out there, but ours is a little bit different than most of them. Um, you've probably heard of wet precipitators and all that kind of stuff. I, I'm good at drinking coffee and appreciating it. My, uh, my roasting and technical skills end at Jiffy Pop for the most part. So oh, okay. I don't want to get okay. too, right. <laughs> I want to assume that, uh, that people are like me and they might not understand. Well, there are a lot of wet scrubbers out there. Ours is just a little bit different in the way we apply yeah. the water to the process. So we've got like a, we had put one on a probat just recently up in San Juan Batista, California. And it's a 22 kilo probat, I think. And if they actually passed a mission, they didn't have to get an afterburner. So we saved them a lot of money by not having to go through having to build an afterburner, which would have been a lot more money than the scrubber was. And this way, they're environmentally more green, and they can use the water as uh, watering for their plants and whatever. Gray water. So, yeah. You, you mentioned this kind of started around 2000. I'm wondering, since it started in 2000, was tech always part of the machine that you were building, the software part of it? Yes, we knew we wanted to have tech. We don't sell a machine manual. Okay, that was what I was wondering. Because I, 
I have talked to some roasters who have these older machines that they've kind of over the years they've added new things and new things and new th- and right. by the end it's something right. totally different, uh, right? Which I think right. is really interesting too. The different types of roasters that you offer, uh, kind of leaning back to the size of the companies that you work with, but it sounds like it's really just custom for everyone. But do you have kind of this is what our baseline is, and then it goes from there, and is it? Only for, you know, a certain size or do you start with like a, a one pound roaster, or a five pound or a hundred pound? I mean, I, I really am wondering about the scale. We, yeah, we, we started with a five kilo roaster. And I have to say the first one, it probably be in my house um, as a piece of furniture at some point. Um, boy's real proud of it, but it kind of looks like an old locomotive. It's like the engine on a locomotive. Uh, but we have progressed from there. It. We started with the five. It's probably our most popular size because most people would like to have one in their shop and have that, you know, the sophistication of having that smoke and smell and just the nuance of it being that fresh. So we sell a lot of fives. The next size that we sell the most of is 15 kilo. For somebody that some of them are in the shop, but most of them are in a warehouse that they're just a moderately sized roaster company and they don't really need a big roaster. Mm-hmm. We do have a sample roaster. It's a one pound roaster. I wouldn't say we have a lot of uh, normal people that just like coffee buying it. It is kind of expensive on the pricey side, but it does everything that our big roasters do. So you could actually use it and then mimic it on a bigger roaster. We have several of the 30 and 60 kilos out there. There are more people that have, you know, more coffee consumption. Sure. Uh, We go up to a 120 kilo, but we've probably only got three or four of those out there. Uh, it, it might be rude, but is there a, kind of a, a taking that five kilo uh, size, that, that more common size, is there a range? I know everything's custom, so the prices are different, but for like a normal person just wondering about it, are we starting in the five to 10,000 and the one to two and the 20? To, I mean, I really have no idea what something would be. I would assume it's like a, something that people use for years and even decades. So there's a yes, value to yes. You're, you're right. always looking at longevity in a roaster. It's they're not cheap. Um, you can buy cheap. Yeah. Um, there are plenty of them out there uh, anymore, but ours are are on uh, probably in the middle range of you know from the real expensive ones, the well known ones, the ones that have been around for a hundred years, and then uh, we're probably in the middle. In the middle. Like a five kilo would be in the twenty thousand range. Okay, that's. I don't know that I would have guessed that, but that doesn't seem unreasonable to me either in, in any sort of way. Just yeah. knowing. I'm not saying 20,000. It's in the 20,000. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, what are, what's a, are we doing leases no, here? It's like a car. I can give you, you know, so much a month. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no. You mentioned that you. Have Actually, be- we do have uh, we do have people that will finance that way. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Uh, where you can put not leases, but, you know, where you can pay monthly or something. Um, you get we do have financing companies that you can talk to. That's another thing in California for people that are starting cafes. And I don't think the normal person realizes what a process it is to get through the permitting and having, you know, a lease and a rent and all these things that have to happen in a very specific order, which can take months and even years sometimes. Absolutely. Out, yes, we have had customers that has taken over a year. Um, Washington is probably the closest to as bad as California on that. Yeah, it's just uh, a really difficult process. And it's not entirely not difficult in the sense that it's not understandable it's just everything is on this kind of schedule and if you miss one of those things you you go backwards you know it's two steps back for every step forward yep so you're always a lot of years in california working so yeah yeah 
Um, one of the more difficult places. As someone who has become very passionate about coffee and does her own roasting, you know, if you were to just go into somebody else's coffee shop and want to try something, what is it that you drink? What's your go-to coffee? You know, is it a black cup, a cappuccino? Where is where is Cheryl? Uh, it's really anywhere. It really depends on who I'm going to go into. I usually have some kind of idea of what their their favorite. I mean, after being in this for 30 years, you kind of know people. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, so some places I would go in and try a Yurgachev if I'm looking to see how they get acidity in their coffee. I know what they're roasting on more than likely. And so it's more of a, a checking out how they do things. A lot of the the coffees that are coming out right now, if you drink any of the really light ones, you'll notice a certain grassiness to it. And that's caused by dropping it early in the roast just to get that that acidity. Yeah. that you need, but if a roaster isn't able to get it any other way, they will drop it real light. So um, usually you can tell those kind of things if you've been drinking coffee for a long time or you're in coffee, you can tell those kind of things. And So that's pretty much what I'm looking at. I like myself, if I'm drinking a coffee, I like it really well balanced. I like a lot of body and some acidity, but not over the top acidity like a lot of people are doing right now. I think was something you just said about after you've been doing it a long time, but there's also something to be said for doing it and be in an awareness of what you're doing. Because I drank coffee just to drink coffee in the morning for a long yeah. time before yeah. I had any idea that I should think about what I was tasting. It was just a process right. of waking up in the morning and putting right. something in my, you know, in my cup. Uh-huh. Anything else that uh, you think people might be interested about renegade roasters or that they should know about what it is that you guys do as a design company and a manufacturing company? Well, I think our biggest, probably our biggest, uh, what you call it, uh, selling point is our after sale. Um, we, we are very on board with helping our customers no matter what after the sale. We're not just looking to sell roasters. We want to be there for our customers and help them any way we can. And that's a very coffee hospitality industry concept, you know, to begin with. I don't know a lot of roasters that get into it and are just want to sell you a coffee and then send you out the door. You know, there's always mm-hmm. an interaction and a, and a willingness to create a community. Coffee is a passionate, passionate place to be. Yeah, very much so. Um, yeah. Well, Cheryl, I really appreciate you just taking some time and dealing with a few technical difficulties this morning. And yeah, I'm sorry about that. No, no, I think that was on my end. Uh, you know, working remotely, there's always something a little bit. And as we phase out of this, this last year of 2020 into what was hopefully a new good year in 2021 we'll uh we'll get that stuff will all go away <laughs> i think there's one other thing i should point out yes ma'am um if i can absolutely uh drum speed and airflow are something that a cup when you drink that cup of coffee you can taste two drum two rpm in either airflow or drum speed can make a difference in the coffee cup the taste of the coffee and we have one customer in Illinois that took it as far as taking it to a lab and having it tested to see if that was really true. And it has been proven that airflow and drum speed can make that big a difference in a cup of coffee. All these little nuances that kind of create this flavor that we look forward to. And the thing that I that I always think separates out uh, a great coffee shop from a good one or, or an average one is consistency. If they yes. can do something you like once, that's great. But if they can do something you like over and over and over again, right? 
that is right. that is what def- defines greatness for me as far as coffee. Yes. Cheryl, really a pleasure meeting you and chatting with you, and, and thanks for joining the Roast West Coast podcast. Yes, it was nice. <laughs> nice to meet you. Nice to meet you as well. Isn't Cheryl the best? Hey, everybody. While you're here, I want to remind you to follow the Voice of San Diego podcast. It is the San Diego region's most popular public affairs and politics podcast. Every Friday, hosts Scott Lewis, Andy Keats, and Sarah Libby break down all of the biggest local news and moves in San Diego politics. It's a must-listen for local news nerds, myself included. You can find the Voice of San Diego podcast wherever you're listening to this podcast. Now, back to Roast West Coast. I want to thank Cheryl Gildner for joining me in conversation. There are so many other jobs, careers, and businesses in the coffee industry besides just the obvious roaster or barista. Cheryl and her husband Boyd design and build roasters. That's pretty cool. Be sure to check out Cheryl's own roastery, Ponderosa Roasting, at, you guessed it, ponderosaroasting.com. And if you are in the market for a coffee roaster or considering opening your own roastery someday and you want to learn more about what it might take, head over to renegaderoasters.com and be sure to reach out to Cheryl. I plan to reach out just to chat with her again over another cup of coffee. All right, it's time for some coffee vocab inspired by today's interview. The first phrase today is wet scrubber. A wet scrubber is an industrial pollution filtration system that uses water to capture pollutants, particulates, and odors from an exhaust stream, like the smoke coming out of a coffee roaster. The smoke is vented through an encapsulated container filled with water that catches the nastier parts of the smoke before being released. In some cases, a wet scrubber might use a chemical liquid instead of water. There are a lot of variables and a little bit of science, so I'll link to more information in this week's newsletter. The second phrase this week is de-stoner, not a 420 reference. Stephen from Crowbeard Coffee in an interview earlier this year actually referenced how his hot air roaster helped him make sure any non-coffee particulates were separated from his roasted beans. And a de-stoner is exactly what it sounds like. It's a machine that processes your roasted beans and separates out all of the unwanted stuff before those beans are then bagged, packaged, or ground. When a processed green coffee bean is scooped up and bagged into a burlap sack at the farm, sometimes a little rubble in the form of dirt and actual small stones end up in the bags too. A distoner helps prevent that debris from making it into the bag that you're buying from your local roaster. One type of distoner uses a pneumatic tube to suck up the beans into a chute for packaging, leaving any heavier debris behind in a little holding tub. There are other kinds too, and when you start that roastery of yours, you'll probably look into the different styles. That is it for today's episode. I couldn't have done it without all of you listening, or the coffee that I've been drinking. I want to say thanks to Bree at Leap Coffee for the nice personalized note that they included in my recent order. And in a little bit of a life change, for the first time, I've been ending my days with coffee too. Inspired by my conversation with Siri Simran Kalsa about decaf, on last week's Coffee Smarter episode, I ordered a bag of decaf from Steady State Roasting, Leap Coffee, and Lofty Coffee just to compare. So far, I have not been disappointed, which, truthfully, was kind of a surprise. Even after learning more from Siri, my internal bias against decaf was still there, clinging in my brain. But the tide has turned and I'm fully on board with the decaf now. And I am not amiss to adding a splash of first light coffee whiskey to the mix if I'm looking for an after-dinner cocktail. And I always need to thank my Roast West Coast industry partners at Zumbar Coffee and Tea, Leap Coffee, Steady State Roasting, Moster Coffee, 
Café La Terre, First Light Whiskey, Camp Coffee, and Cape Horn Coffee Importers. Thank you all for listening to this episode of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. I will be back on Friday with a brand new Coffee Smarter episode. And Chris O'Brien from Coffee Cycle is back with me to let us know why people started drinking coffee brewed from coffee beans that had been digested by a cat and pooped out onto the ground. That is not a joke. If you've been enjoying these shows, please share the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast with all of your coffee-loving friends. Tell them to search for Roast West Coast on any of the major podcast platforms, including Apple and Spotify, or better yet, tell them just to sign up for that newsletter at roastwestcoast.com. And I'll send this show to them in an email every Tuesday and Friday. And if you're out in the world having coffee adventures, please tag at Roast West Coast on Instagram or join the Roast West Coast Facebook group and start a new coffee conversation. Links to all of that stuff is in this episode's show notes. Finally, if you are almost out of coffee, head over to a local coffee roaster or coffee shop to purchase beans from them. And be sure to tip. Because, for some reason, it's just not as common of a practice in a coffee shop. Which, having been a bartender, and a waiter, and a barista, I think is crazy. Because being behind the bar at the coffee shop was definitely the most demanding of all three jobs. This episode of the Roast West Coast Podcast was written, produced, and recorded by me, Ryan Wolt. I hope this show has found you happy, healthy, and with at least enough sanity to make it through the day. And please, always be sure to drink good coffee. Hey everyone, this is Cody from San Diego's first and longest running local beer podcast, Beer Night in San Diego. If you love the local beer community, check out Beer Night in San Diego, available everywhere podcasts are found. Each and every week we bring you great local beer discussion, beer education, news, and tons more with a touch of comedy. Check out Beer Night in San Diego to laugh and learn with us.